Aloha Nation, welcome back to the Hive Nation podcast. Each week, we have leading experts in personal and professional development share their journeys and expertise to help you connect, engage, grow, evolve. Here's JB to introduce today's guest. Hey, thanks, Greg. Uh, today we have a, a local uh, celebrity uh, in, uh, in Mr. Manib Shahid. Uh, Manib uh, is a friend of the Hive and uh, a friend of ours. Uh, Manib is the uh, founder of 2Web. Uh, TwoWeb is a uh, digital uh, design and digital marketing agency here in Saskatoon that uh, that basically he uh, he just wants to help businesses grow within their uh, marketing campaigns and or build you something very shiny and nice and uh, he does a heck of a good job. Um, so welcome to the program today, Muniba. It's it's our pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, Jason. Pleasure yeah, to be right. here. Thank you. Uh, so today we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, Google marketing and some AI stuff, uh, and, and just how how you can help uh, you know schmucks like Greg and I uh, do better at digital marketing. And whoever's really listening to this, I mean, everybody's trying to market their business, uh, no matter what day of the week it is, right? So, so uh, you know, we want to help out, and you want to help out. So, you know, we're gonna pick your brain here a little bit today. So, let's start off with uh, Google, and let's start off with what is the number one thing that you should put on a Google ad in order to get clicks? Well, I mean, that's a big question. It's um, huge. I mean, in terms of uh, when it comes to Google, Google looks at so many other factors other than your Google ad itself, right? What they're looking for <clears throat> is they're looking for something called a quality score. And the quality score basically depends on a number of factors. It includes the copy of the Google ad. It includes the copy of the website, the landing page that actually that ad is going to it includes the design of how everything is, is set up. In addition to that, they look at the engagement, which is a really a key metric that often many businesses, they forget. Because you look into the numbers and you say, okay, you're getting a certain amount of traffic, but is that traffic being retained on your landing page or not? Or are they actually just bouncing back and going back to search results? So this tells Google that if they're actually visiting your page and they're engaged with the content that is there, they're spending time reading that information and ultimately submitting their details on that website or web page, that tells Google that your ad is working well and you're driving the right audience to your landing page, you're targeting the right people, and you're doing it in a good way. So that impacts your quality score and that's a key part. In addition to that, they actually follow that model across all of their other platforms in the Google Ad Network. They look at the same kind of thing when it comes to YouTube ads as well. Not just a quick video, but the engagement on the video and what you're doing with the traffic that comes from the video and so forth. Um, so those are some ways on how Google really evaluates whether this is a quality ad or not. And it's interesting because Google is one platform where if you actually pay more, you, you're not necessarily gonna get better rankings in your Google Ads. Mm -hmm. You have to have a good quality score to be able to have a better ranking in your Google Ads as well. So, so how does one get that quality score up from, let's say I start today at zero. Right. Now, what's, what's the fastest way to increase my quality score? The fastest way is to focus on that user experience. So when people are reading the content of that Google Ad and they're clicking on it, you have to determine when people are visiting that landing page afterwards, are they actually spending more time on that or not? So what does that engagement look like? Are they being confused or are they actually you know, engaging with the content and reading the, reading the content that is on that page? Interesting. So what, if, if I go onto Google right now and I just search uh, sports and the very first one that comes up, if I click on it, what should I see? What, to, in order for me to keep me there, what is the key, you know, uh, that on there that I should that would keep somebody there for the longest time right 
So it's interesting. I mean, you know, Google is really smart about being able to deliver results based on intent of the user, right? If I go and I search for sports, Google does not really know, okay, whether you're searching for the score out there, sports, what kind of sports it is. Uh, it's a very, very generic term. And we've been actually programmed now to be more specific in our search key phrases. If you look at what we're actually typing in Google, we're basically asking questions. We're looking at you know, articles of, that we can do research on. We're looking at specific key phrases that we're actually typing in. In fact, one of the key things that we're also typing in is if we're trying to find a coffee shop. You know, we're putting near me at the end because Google knows where we are. They know more about us than we do ourselves. Hmm. And the fact is that you know, we are able to find locations around where we are located because of that reason so that you know, we can find what we're looking for as quickly as possible. That's a good point. So let's, uh, let me rephrase that. If I were to say uh, football, if I were to put football right. into my search and then I hit on the very first one, if there was a video on there, does, do they consider, like if the video pops up first uh, when I clicked on that site, it doesn't matter what site came up. If I clicked on that site and there was a video that popped up first, is that one way to keep people engaged further or is it something to do with... Uh, a search bar that you search within the site or you know how what's what what is the number one thing right so first of all when you search for something like football uh, what normally would happen is they'll look at some of the recent posts of a football a topic on football so if there's a game going on uh, you know and uh, it's a very popular game so it will bring up the scores for that it will bring up a video related to that if it's uh, based on a certain demographic or a certain location that you're at uh, then it will actually bring up different results as well so depending on your search behavior Depending on uh, where you're located, depending on what kind of uh, season it is, it will actually deliver different results because it's very, very, what they want to do is they want to give you very timely results based on what's happening currently. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned about video and video is a great way to actually come up in search results because you have to understand YouTube is owned by Google. So if you put content on YouTube, you get some brownie points there to be able to get traction for certain specific key phrases. Mm -hmm. So a great strategy is to be able to have videos out there that are posted on YouTube as well, that are related to your business, that are related to your topic, and so that people can come across that as well, along with your website or any other content that you post online. And so is there certain words within the video console? Say let's post a video on YouTube today, right? This this picture right here. Right. And we're, we're gonna post this video on YouTube today. Is there certain search words that we should put in there? Is there, should we use hashtags? What, what's, the, what's the key to that? Absolutely. So when we look at the video content itself, we have to understand that whatever we're putting, it has to be in line with the content itself that okay. we discussed in the video. So if we are actually you know, inflating certain key phrases which the video is not about, that's a big red flag in Google's search engine. Okay. So we have to be very careful in, in not doing that. The other part is that you know, Google, when you're putting up a video on YouTube, you have the option of putting in the title, which is very, very important and impacts directly the search algorithm that you have on YouTube as well as on Google. You have to make sure that that title is descriptive as possible and actually has the right phrases relevant to the, to the video. Now, when it comes to the actual description that follows the title, often many businesses, they don't take the advantage of that real estate, but that, that information is very, very, that, that space is very, very valuable to really the information about the video. So be as descriptive as possible. Have In how many words? Like, is there, do, do, they, do they count words? Like, so if I get too descriptive and I have let's say I have 20 words versus I could have said that in 10 words, does that make a difference to them? Yes, you have to be careful. You have to be concise and you have to make sure that you make sense in those words. You're not repeating the words uh, and, and kind of trying to spam the search results, right? You have to make sure that it actually makes sense. 
And sometimes having certain things like links in the description so you can drive traffic elsewhere also is a very key area too. We see this a lot with YouTube influencers where they're putting a video out, they're maybe talking about a specific product or a specific service and they're actually linking to that website or that product directly. Right in the description. Right in the description as well, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So those are some ways on how you can actually create that whole experience more engaging and also make sure that you are you know, basically creating uh, a video that people can get more information on once they've watched the video as well. So, gotcha. Yeah. But in the title, you should be as, as precise as possible. Absolutely, yes, yeah. Gotcha. You have to understand also is that when you're putting that title, it's very limited in terms of words, so you have to be very careful as mm -hmm. far as what words you're choosing. Make sure you don't repeat the words. Again, you don't want to look like you're spamming the search results. And then basically have uh, you know those posted. Now, the thing is that it's not just about the content of the video. It's not just about the words that you put in the title and, and the description. Mainly the, the key metric that you need to focus on is the engagement, right? So what, and by engagement, I mean when people are viewing that video, are they actually going through the video? Are they actually spending time to go through the content of the video? Are they actually even commenting on the video or not? That's a key factor too. So you have to understand that when you are creating an engagement, those metrics really matter. And it's important to understand, okay, is your content being viewed all the way or not? I've noticed kind of like some of the YouTubers in the past, like, and I'll use like, uh, what's his name, Logan Paul, as, oh, yeah. as a prime example. Like he just did, you know, off the wall stuff that, you know, and just kind of maybe loud and crazy stuff, but it sells apparently, right? So like, so like three boring guys sitting around, you know, chatting about business. What, what can I do in order to make that video, you know, stand out, you know, versus like a, a Logan Paul as per se? Right. I mean, you know, people unfortunately do have a very low attention span, right? For so sure. you have to have the different cuts and the different, you know, ways on how you can actually create more engagement. You can have certain annotations that come up uh, in the video itself. And uh, also, I know that this is a tactic that uh, some of the influencers are using. You're actually having the videos translated and oh. tra translated and transcribed into different languages as well. Um, so that's another area where you can actually tap into other markets too if you want to go that level. Um, and this can be done in many ways in an automated fashion as well, up to some extent. So the key thing here is that um, you, know, you have to understand, you have to look at your audience. Sometimes that one take a video might be good for your audience. It depends on who you're targeting. Uh, you know, uh, for Logan Paul, you know, he needs to be entertaining. So, you know, so there's a different way his videos need to be structured, right? right? So you will develop your own tribe, your own audience, depending on the content that you have mm -hmm. and your target audience that you're looking to attract. And ultimately, that will grow over time once they actually start resonating with your content. So, so my idea was to actually have like a slime pail above oh, yeah. right where you're sitting. <laughs> and right. then I was like, eventually, like we were going to be chatting. And then I'd be like, oh, what's that? And you would look up and I'd pull the string on the slime pail and that would make the uh, good reel. It'd be honey for the hot. Honey. <laughs> I see. Well, I mean, that could be good maybe from a viral perspective. I don't know what your guests would think of that. <laughs> or if you will have future guests or not. <laughs> I'm looking for the shock belt. I see. <laughs> yeah, go viral or go home, right? Uh, on that note, it's, I'm happy you talked about Logan Paul because off camera, we were talking about Mr. Beast. And yes. You're actually part of his master group, uh, mastermind group. I'm part of the, his coach who, yes. who is actually, yes, that's right, yeah. Daryl Reeves. Yes, sorry. Uh, Daryl Reeves. So how, you know, originally... Did you, being a businessman in the tech industry, go, yeah, Mr. Beast? Because, like I asked you, was, you know, a lot of 
you know, business individuals would overlook somebody like that for uh, advice or something because, oh, this is just a stupid guy doing stupid videos. Hmm. I'm, I'm a businessman. That's all, that's true. a different world, right? Right, right. So where was that connection made? Well, I think, first of all, he's not stupid. He's extremely oh, smart. 100%. He's worth over a billion dollars. And, uh, you know, he's actually made his way because he's really committed to the art. I've, uh, I've read his story and it's very inspiring. Um, you know, he's actually... It's interesting because he actually went in for the long haul. He dedicated himself, you know, fully to the to the art of creating YouTube videos, and he took him seven eight years to actually get to this level. So the fact is that um, you know he was there, and he actually really focused on the quality of the videos over time. He really invested in the production of his videos, and he was very creative about how he can actually bring ideas together, and then ultimately creating big. And the big thing is that you know I always say that the data does not lie. If you look at the analytics of your videos, you can actually tell what where people are dropping off, what kind of content resonates well with them. So that's a key thing with any business. If you're trying to produce video content or if you're trying to create content for your website or any kind of content online in a digital fashion, you have to look at the, the metrics. You have to look at the analytics of, the, of that piece of content, whether it's creating that engagement or not. And then make iterations, make iterations. Earlier you were talking about Google Ads. So it's never a good strategy, strategy to just put out one Google ad and hope for the best. You have to have multiple iterations. You have to see you know, what version works better than the other. You have to have what we call as A-B testing. And you have to do that consistently and continuously to continue to improve the ads and continue to improve the results that you're getting from those ads as well. And it's not just the ad copy as well. It's where you're actually, throw, where you're actually leading those, that traffic from the ad as well. So that landing page or that website that, is, that they're going to. What iterations can you actually make over there to create more engagement, to get more leads, to get more business out of that, out of that click? So with, with that being said, how on the A-B testing or once you take in this analytics, how many times does a person have to ask for a button here, you know, for a change to be made, for it to be worth it for a business? Because I think a lot of times people see one person negative or positive say, hey, you need to make this change and they make it and it potentially could do the opposite, right? Absolutely. And sometimes it does. The reality is that you have to then again look at the data. Did it make an impact? Was it a negative impact or was it a positive impact? And if it was a negative impact, you know, make the change again, go back to what you were doing before that was working well and then make other iterations. But that should not discourage you from making those changes because only when you make those changes will you identify okay, what actually is gonna not perform and what is performing well, right? If you don't make those changes and you don't take that chance, you're not going to be able to get your campaign to a level where it's generating good results and good conversions for your business. Well, that's a great lead in then. So with AI in, in today's world with AI, so if I just uh, input my website into AI and told to judge it, right? Is that a way of doing it? There are certain tools that you know you can use to obviously evaluate websites, create content, uh, see if the design is going to work for your audience or not. There's many different tools out there, especially for using AI that can actually help you create better experiences online. And the way I put it as, you know, often businesses fear AI. They don't understand, and that's because they don't understand right. what is the potential of AI. So it's really important to understand and build uh, at least some sort of knowledge as far as, okay, what exactly can AI do for your business? Stop fearing, that's the first step. Start learning, that's the next, next step. And third is to start implementing, which is basically where you take the, the, the power that AI has and leverage it for your business. Because the way I look at AI is that it's a great catalyst for your business. It's a great catalyst for whatever industry that you're in to be able to use, effectively use, and, and basically 
uh, you know, put yourself uh, in a way in a path to to success. So, in your opinion, where do you where do you see AI being used in the future? Like, do you think that it's going to be the be all end all, or do you think it's just going to be a a, a fallback? We know it's certainly a bit too early to say where exactly this will be heading, but I think the the positives greatly outweigh the negatives. And I think that's what we have to keep in mind is that in a controlled environment, AI can be extremely powerful. And in an environment where you can you know, be taken advantage of, you know, it's, it's uh, something that can really uh, be a very negative approach. And a good, uh, good example is, you know, using deep fakes, for example, right? I mean, you can actually be anyone you want to be. Mm -hmm. You can actually have uh, your voice mimicked by mm -hmm. anyone. And, and those are some ways on, on how you can actually take advantage of AI for a positive way or even for a negative way, like depending on what what your intentions are. You know, speaking of that, I just saw uh, that song last night by Morgan Wallen. Oh yeah. Done by Donald Trump. Oh wow. On AI, on AI, and I was like, what the hell? Like, who's got all the time and effort to do that? A, but B, I guess I, I get it. You know, you put it out there and you finally have it done, and you'll get a million clicks. I, I get that. I totally get that. But if we were to use AI seriously, if any business people who are listening to this right now and they wanted to use AI seriously, what would be your first tip for them to, to you know, what, what path would you tell them? What would you use? How would you use AI? Like this is, this was what I would do. Absolutely. So I would actually really help uh, businesses focus on what are some of the key pieces that they can use to promote their messaging online. And that has to do with content. So creating content using AI is a great way to start leveraging AI for building information and about your business in a way where you can actually start communicating better. Uh, that's uh, one of the best forms of, of uh, using AI to promote yourself using content marketing. Keeping in mind that you know there have been talks as far as, okay, Google is gonna track all the AI content in some way or form, and it's, it's gonna penalize you in some, in some way. But the reality is that you, know, you don't just take the content that is produced by AI or the results and you just you know, put it online. You have to put your efforts in to customize it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really where I think you have to separate yourself from what AI is doing and what you're actually, you know, inputting in your in, for your for your business. So you have to take that time to evaluate and to customize and to update whatever AI puts out, and take the time and effort to be able to customize it so that you can actually provide the best experience and provide the best, uh, you know, knowledge about your business online. I've seen that there's companies, there's offshoots from AI that literally are paraphrasers. If you buy our, our software, we'll paraphrase whatever you, oh, yeah. you put into AI. You just you just copy and paste what AI spit out for you, put it into the paraphraser now, and then the paraphraser will, will rearrange the words for you, change some of the words or phrases right. so that it's not, it doesn't get, you know, like you said, red flagged by Google. That's right. So that's AI t working on top of AI. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Right. yeah. So is that AI squared? <laughs> I guess so. AI, AI inception. <laughs> yeah. AI inside of an AI inside of an AI. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as basic form, I mean, we have been using Grammarly for the longest time. Grammarly is an app that allows you to be able to customized pieces of content based on tonality, based on certain, you know, verbs. And, and it's a great tool to be able to write better. I mean, I know mm -hmm. I need Grammarly more than anything. <laughs> so it's very important for us to actually utilize those tools. Now, would that content be tagged as, uh, you know, generated from AI? I mean, it's, it's a really, uh, you know, but the reality is that there's so much information there that, you know, I've written myself and AI is actually evaluating that and then helping me make it better, mm -hmm. right. which is where the value add is, right? Right. 
uh, or the alternative is that AI spits out a piece of content and then you make it better and then help AI to you know, review it at the end to make sure that you know, it meets certain standards. So there are ways on how you can actually leverage that, but the key thing to note is that it's a catalyst and it allows you to be able to do what you were doing before at a much, much faster rate. And I think that businesses should not be afraid of AI. They should be able to you know, employ some of these tools and technologies, not just for content, but for video, for podcasting, mm-hmm. for any piece of information that you have online that you can actually help promote yourself. I've seen that they, they even have like, uh, uh, you, you can just put in the name of your business right. and what you do, and then it'll create a whole website for you, including pictures and everything. That's right. I mean, you can actually have a lot of information that can be put together yeah. based on a certain details. And again, the thing is that this is not, I mean, we have been living in a world where, you know, you have all these tools that are available to you. But in the past, these tools were available more in a static format where you would actually maybe select a template from somewhere, you know, add content to that template and, and right. so forth and build a website. It's just that it's really expedited that process of getting something done. And the reality is that whatever it'll spit, spit out, Maybe okay for many businesses, but it not, it's, it's a good result, but it's not a great result, at least today. Mm-hmm. So you have to make it great by putting your input in. Now you talk about customizing now, so after you would, even if you had like a, a template like right. kicked out, now you just customize it to your own, maybe personal touch, I'll call it, That's or right. professional touch maybe is maybe a better way of putting it. And uh, then that, you know, may, I mean, at least you have something to start with. Exactly, exactly. And I always say that, okay, what exactly is the purpose of whatever it is that you're doing through AI? Is it serving the needs of your audience and your target audience that are visiting the website, visiting the content and reading through the information? Is it serving the needs and creating those engagement levels? And are they finding value from it? If they're finding value from it, I mean, that's, you met your goal. I mean, that's really the key thing. Okay, so if you were to ask me that and I, and I would say to you, well, I want to build a website. Right. And then you would tell me what? Well, it would depend on the kind of website you need. <laughs> okay, I want to build a website for my sales training business. Right, right. So, uh, would you say, tell me that, that what we just talked about was that, okay, well, whatever template it does, then you just customize it? Or what value would you bring to me that says, no, you should actually have this input in order to have this as the output? Right. You know? So normally when we are working with clients on the website end of things, it's very important for us to actually not compromise the user experience. A lot of these AI tools, they don't spit out sites that are, that I would say are professional per se mm-hmm. to the level where, you know, I mean, they're okay, they can get the job done, but I would say that there's a certain standard that you would need to meet to be able to really provide the best user experience. So in order to do that, you have to, there's a couple of ways on how to proceed with it. You can actually do the legwork through AI and then have this sort of, preliminary website that is set up and then customize it further so that you can actually have all these ideas brought to your attention. But I, I'm a, like, I like to not skew those results in the sense that I look at you know, some of the other uh, potential competitors that you have, potential other, uh, you know, what your audience needs are. We try to do what we call as a user journey analysis, right? What exactly is your user trying to find and how they're actually trying to find that? So it's important for us to understand who your target audience is and what is the best way to communicate the, the, the message to that audience? Yeah, that makes uh, sense. So, so looking at, you know, from that perspective and then coming up with the concept layouts based on that. So we, you know, we should not rush ourselves to coming up with the end product before we've done the analysis first. And I always say that it's really important to identify what those personas are that you want to be targeting, really understanding what the user journey of those personas look like, 
and then mapping out that user journey so that you can actually create an experience, a digital experience that aligns well with that user journey. And that will give you a conversion focused website. So um, just for a, a real quick example would be like um, cash register buttons. I mean, the buy it now buttons would be maybe a better way. So like AI is never gonna do that for you. AI is never gonna input a cash register button, for example. So when you scroll down the page, it gives you 10 different opportunities to buy, right? But uh, so AI is not going to do that. So, uh, in your opinion, how do you how do you massage AI? Because I found just using like ChatGPT for an example that you have to massage it. Like you can't just put in the, the a, a one you know sentence or a phrase and expect it to kick out something perfect. You have to go in there and say, okay, I wasn't looking for that. I actually was looking for this. And then it does it again. Then you you know you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. By the time you're done, you may have to ask it like 20 questions. Right. And then I find it gets lost after a little while. So, you know, is that where you might come into into play? Where I'd be like, okay, I've got this far, and this looks awful. <laughs> you know, how how do we use what I the idea is here, but you know, that's not what I wanted. Well, it's a good starting point, right? I mean, you have the information there, you've done, you know, you've inserted the prompts, you've actually gathered some details, and it's a great way to actually get started off to, you know, basically finish the end product, right? So um, I would say that, you know, depending on the results, I know ChatGPT is also evolving very rapidly, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of things that are always changing the AI world, and the more data that it gets, the better it will be, right? So over time, it's going to actually improve, and uh, and also as you put in more prompts and you get better in putting those prompts, being more specific at certain certain prompts, you can generate better results or different results. Every time you put the same prompt, it's going to deliver a different result. That's mm -hmm. the beauty about you know what it actually uh, spits out. But in addition to ChatGPT, there are also many, many, many other tools mm -hmm. that are available that utilize ChatGPT in some way or form, but also have their own AI component that basically you know aligns with what ChatGPT is delivering to create more specialized results mm -hmm. and uh, and that's a great way to be able to invest in some of those tools and to be able to create more specific content and, and, and research and like a thousand of them popped up like overnight it seems like it just uh, ever since the, the chat GPT craze and the reason is because they utilize many of those tools uh, especially from a content perspective they're utilizing the chat GPT engine to power their uh, you know their, uh, their application. Okay. I mean, a good example is, I mean, you look at, let's say something very different. I mean, if you want to uh, organize a, a vacation, right? I mean, you go to Expedia right now, you open up their app and you say, okay, I want to, you know, I want to have this kind of experience. <laughs> and basically it'll, you know, ChatGPT, they use ChatGPT to be able to deliver the results and it'll spit out some results. And then based on that, you would be able to select what it is that you need. And Expedia's again, keep in mind, Expedia's recording this information on the app, right? Mm -hmm. So then they can present to you search mm -hmm. results based on what your interests are, right? I see LinkedIn has an AI writing tool now. Oh yeah, absolutely. AI, even Gmail, like there's- Canva, everything has it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's really the, I would say the transformation. I mean, it's, it's really a, a significant digital transformation because all of these other applications are now utilizing AI engines to write better emails, to produce better content, to create better pictures, to create better videos, uh, to promote yourself better online. Everything has basically taken, been taken up a notch, mm -hmm. significantly up a notch, right? Mm -hmm. And it's still, you know, it's still evolving at a very rapid pace. So, so do you, uh, in your opinion, is it worth uh, buying the, the paid uh, uh, subscription to ChatGPT versus the free one? Oh yes, yeah, because ChatGPT4 is actually way better. 
uh, I mean, if you actually start utilizing their, their platform, you'll see the difference. Um, and I think that uh, I don't know the exact specifics of how it actually you know, searches the algorithm, but if you notice the results that are coming through ChatGPT4, uh, it's actually much more improved. So, Interesting. At the start of the podcast, we were talking about Google Analytics, and it's something you've come back to quite a lot. Or not Google Analytics, or just analytics in general. Just analytics, yeah. Looking at the engagement, looking at the clicks, keeping the retention rate. So in a scenario where a company has done everything right, seemingly, they've created a good ad, they've got good response on it, people are going and staying for a little while, but they're not converting. Um, You know, ChatGPT has helped them out but ChatGPT can't implement, right? The person still needs to implement. So how can somebody who's seemingly done everything perfect or near perfect get to that conversion rate? Because I think that's where everybody gets stuck. Everybody can tell a compelling story, but then they go, I don't know why we're not converting. So in this industry, in my pursuit of perfection, I realized that nothing is perfect. Uh, There's always imperfections there, and I think that's what makes us, um, I guess, human in a sense, and also the work that we actually do uh, makes it more unique. So the reality is that when you look at where your your traffic is falling off, for example, in this case, uh, the landing page where they're kind of going in and, and being engaged with the content, you have to look at what exactly is the user doing at that stage. You can actually have screen recording tools that can be implemented on that page to see what that user behavior looks like. Maybe the user is getting confused. Maybe the form that they have is too lengthy. Maybe the call to action button is not as prominent. Um, and those are some of the factors that will allow you to be able to evaluate using that data. So in addition to Google Analytics, you can have additional data such as screen recording tools. We use a platform called Lucky Orange that allows you to record screencasts on different platforms as well as uh, on your website and gives a good, good amount of data as a result of that. Um, there's also certain you know, applications you can actually use to see if your design is going to be effective or not. You know, there's, uh, there's AI tools that can be used to create concept layouts for your website that were, are going to be more effective than others. Uh, I know there's a tool that we use called iQuant to evaluate websites. Uh, and these are websites that uh, before they even launch, we can determine from the data set of millions of people whether this layout is going to be effective or not from a conversion perspective or not. That's a great case study for us to actually utilize some of these tools before doing all the legwork and, and deploying this page out. We can actually evaluate beforehand and at least you know get a good number as far as, okay, is this going to be an effective or not. So it saves us so much time, plus it allows our, our clients to get a much more thought out design that is going to work well for their goals. That's, that's interesting. And the one thing you said is that stuck out to me is on the fear before. Right. So you just said that you can actually get real results uh, and real data saying your website's going to be effective based on Absolutely. these search results. These metrics. A lot of people, myself included, I think have looked at AI and going, AI doesn't know shit. Real people need to give me the answers. I need real. But it can get you close. There's still going to be a level of your actual customers giving you feedback is always going to be valuable, invaluable, some would argue. But AI can give us tools that will get us that much closer. Absolutely. I mean, it's that 80-20 rule, right? I mean, you know, you still have to add in that 20% to make sure that, you know, it meets that 100% once everything is done properly. So... Um, so AI will can get you there, you know, up to eighty percent as quickly as possible, but you still have to invest that period of time to be able to make sure that it it does meet the needs and the goals that you're looking to achieve. 
Would you know how many, like, uh, so if I do have a, an ad uh, produced by AI, do you know how many words I'd have to change within that so that Google thinks that it's legit? I don't actually, know. Yeah, I mean, it really depends. I would say that, um, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to Google ad, I mean, again, it's, uh, you're referring to Google ads, right? So Google ad is only a few lines. There's not much right. content, much data there as well. And plus, you're actually bribing Google. That's right. Right? You're bribing Google to put this ad out there, right? That's so right. They're, <laughs> they're not going to be as, um, you know, I guess, uh, as judgmental, okay, whether the content has been created by you or not. Yeah, they just want your money. I got it. They want your, they want your money. <laughs> Uh, and I think the way that they do that ethically is that they say, okay, you, we, we need to give this a quality score, which means that, you know, it's not like how much money you're spending on the, on the campaign. It's also about, okay, does this verbiage communicate what exactly it is that you're trying to deliver to the audience? And is that individual, once they click on that link, are they finding what they're looking for in the landing page as well? So they're not just judging the ad. You're also judging the landing page that they're going to right. once the ad is... Uh, you know, once uh, the ad is, uh, is running. Now, uh, a fundamental difference that, I, I guess I would say that a, a big mistake that many, many businesses make, and a lot of marketing companies, unfortunately, uh, the way they run campaigns too, is they drive the ad directly to the homepage of the website. And that's a big no-no. Because the fact mm -hmm. is the homepage is kind of like a summary of your website. It also lacks in some of the call to actions that you need for that specific purpose. So if you actually have a very specific ad, and you lead them to a homepage of a website which is very generic and a summary of your website, it's not in line with what the purpose of the ad is, usually. usually. So ideally, a good strategy is to be able to drive that audience to a specific page that is in alignment uh, with that. And what you'll notice is that this, just make it, by making this difference alone, you'll notice that your ad spend can fluctuate by you know, up to 30, 40%. You can actually be spending less money on ads and get more traffic as a result of this change. So, for example, instead of it just going to www.yourpage.com, you could put .com slash blog on the end, and it would go to that page inside the page, or that, whatever you're trying to promote. Absolutely, whatever the what are the uh, uh, the copy of the ad is. So, it would, for example, if it's like a, a specific service, let's say a sales service, so it would be great to actually have it on, you know, yourdomain.com slash sales services, and then essentially that would have. The information about what you're selling and how you actually help sell and serve sales. Very interesting. I did not know that. See, you learned something today. That's great. I Time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of on topic, off topic. With AI, uh, again, going back to the fear uh, piece that you talked on it, in the data development slash digital marketing world, is there... Uh, a place where AI gets rid of some of that service? Like, do you think there's ever like a replacement of, oh, I don't need a marketer anymore, I got ChatGPT. Right? You talked about how it's getting better, yeah, better all the time, right? Getting... So it, do you think it's gonna get to that point? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, as the AI tools get better, they are going to replace certain jobs, and rightfully so. Because the fact is that, you know, as humans, we have to evolve, and we have to do better things, right? It's great if actually the mundane tasks get done by AI. There's nothing wrong about that. This makes good commercial sense. It makes good sense as an evolution from an evolutionary perspective. You know, uh, we want to make sure that we are making the best use of our time. If something that we are doing can be done by a robot, why would we do it, mm. right? So the fact is that, you know, I mean, a good example is, um, you know, when it comes to video editing, there's a really good tool called Opus Clips. Uh, you can check it out afterwards. Basically, you can take the video footage that you have from from this podcast. You can upload it, and it actually creates it would slice and dice the content of this podcast 
and we've created those social bites that you can promote automatically on your social channels. So how much time would it take you to do that manually? Oh. And would it be as professional, right? Maybe as professional, but it would take you a lot of time. Hmm. So the fact is that, you know, those are some ways on how you can actually really streamline the production, the marketing, the content uh, distribution online. Um, you know, we, I, I know that there's a, AI has been a buzzword since the past year, but we've been playing AI for, uh, with AI for the past six years uh, when it comes to marketing automation. Hmm. So specifically when it comes to uh, identifying who actually it is that is visiting your website. Not by a number, but by a name. So for example, when people come to your website, can we actually identify which organization this individual is coming from? What actually is the name of this individual? And can they, and how often they're actually visiting the page? So imagine what you can do with that data. So for example, if you have John Smith and you're reaching out to that prospect from a sales perspective, uh, you send them an email, and you're trying to get a, some sort of response from this individual, you wanna really close this deal, uh, you send them an email with a link to your website. They, they, you can identify if they've clicked the link on your email. This is a pretty standard functionality HubSpot has it, and we use HubSpot. You can identify okay, if they've clicked on that link, they've come to your website. Now, the fact is that once they've come on your website, uh, you can then identify, okay, what are the pages that they've actually accessed on your website? And ultimately, what kind of engagement are they actually having? Are they visiting your page on a regular basis? Are they just kind of like a, a silent uh, prospect that you know is gonna engage with you when the time is right? How do you know when the time is right? So let's say you reach out to them, they don't respond back, you call them, they don't respond back. Three months down the road, they visit your website. Three or four times you know, in a week. Now you know, okay, that they're actually- Alive. Alive. <laughs> alive. <laughs> alive, thankfully, and they're engaged, right? So th this might be the right time. So this would be a great way to, to have some sort of a trigger in the marketing automation platform for you to reach out to them hmm. and basically you know, set that up for them or essentially contact them. And they will be much more likely to respond at that time rather than before when you were reaching out to them. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. It's a buying, buying signal you can't see. No. Without the proper technology. Right. Right. right? And, and that's, you know, we talk about it on a, on a lower scale to, uh, to kind of relate this to some people that maybe they don't know anything about AI. You know, you can look at something like an iPhone or a MacBook. Right. They're powerful, powerful tools. 99% of people only know how to use like 1% of the functionality of that. They don't know how to automate their, their do not disturb so when they're at work. Like any of these great tools that yeah. are in there and just like AI, you know, we're only at the tip of the iceberg all the time. Like even, you know, in the 30 minutes we've learned here, I'm like sitting here, I'm like, boy, do I feel stupid because I could have automated a lot of the things we've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just to speak to that point, I mean, that tracking is actually, that's very basic level tracking. Yeah. Where the AI layer comes into play is that, you know, you start identifying what that user journey or that user behavior looks like, okay? So you identify this individual, he works for this kind of company, uh, he basically has this kind of behavior and pattern online. And then using AI, you can actually determine how likely are you able to close mm. this, this prospect. There's and a few out there that come to mind, Zoom Info, Uplead, they right. do stuff like that, that's... Yeah, they have a lot of data. They're, they're big directories, big data that you know that uh, allow you to be able to you know uh, get access to that information, and you can actually get information about that particular prospect. Yeah. And but where the magic really happens is that essentially when you have this data coming from many many prospects, you can then identify which prospect has should be the uh, should have a higher lead score, meaning that are more likely to convert based on certain user behaviors and patterns. So, for example, putting in very simple terms, if you've identified that there's a prospect out there 
that closed within three days and his behavior was they visited your website using a Google ad, they came to your blog, they read a few articles, let's say three articles, then they visited your Facebook page or your LinkedIn profile, and then they actually reached out to you by email. That's their behavior pattern. Whenever there's a prospect that follows the same pattern, you know exactly, okay, that this individual is more likely to convert because they've converted, right? And if you have more, more of that data to prove that concept, then you can actually give those kinds of prospects with that user journey a higher score because you know that they're more likely to convert because of that behavior pattern. Hmm. That's what you can do with AI is you can actually track this activity and then you can actually you know, give them a lead score and then have that at hand so that you can close better deals. Hmm. Wow, it's a good idea. Oh yeah. Very I'm good glad idea. I thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad too. <laughs> For sure. Uh, um, Mediva, I don't want to take too much of your time up. Uh, you know, I think there's been a ton of great information here. Yeah. Um, let's end it off maybe with with maybe a rather large question. But uh, in our previous talks, you talked a lot about focusing on three pillars. So if we look at what we talked about today, being you know tracking the analytics, Google Ads, and AI, what are the three pillars where somebody could start going? Okay, I have a company. I want to start utilizing these three things. How do I? I'll, ch- I'll, I'll switch it up. I have a small company sure. who has, you know, say zero to five or one to five employees. And, you know, where can I start, util- or how, do I, how can I start utilizing those tools? Right. So the first step is that, you know, you have to be very clear on your customer, your ideal customer. And obviously, if you're in business, you've probably gone through that exercise. So what you want to do is you want to have a website presence, an online presence that really focuses and aligns with that journey of that user. So you want to focus on what is that user journey? How are people trying to find you or how are they coming across your business? You have to really, really understand that well. Once you've understood that, that's the first pillar. The second pillar is to be able to design digital assets that align with that user behavior, whether it's a LinkedIn channel or a Facebook page, whatever the case is, you have to, based on where your audience is, you have to be where your audience is. So if you map out, map out the user journey, you know where to be, be and, and how to target your audience. So then you need to have those digital assets on those channels, whether it's a YouTube video or a combination of all these different uh, channels, you have to put your content out there. Third, you have to actually create the content. This is where the legwork actually really comes in. That's the third pillar, it's the most important pillar as well. We actually start creating the content that aligns with that user journey, and you're able to support that user to help make an informed decision to do business with you. Fantastic. Amazing. It's simple. It is simple. It's simple. Like, I think people overthink, especially in the marketing, because they hear they these do. terms, you know, analytics, SEO, and all this stuff that, like, unless you're a marketer, it's intimidating as hell, especially mm-hmm. if you're a sales guy. You're like, oh, God, this is the bane of my existence. But it's really, you know, simple, and you just have to... You just said it right there, Greg. I'd love to see the analytics on how many people have Googled what is SEO. Right. The number's large. I'll put it to you that way. Right? Because... Yeah. People use it as a buzzword, but right. there are people that don't know what it means. Exactly. They may know what it means, but they don't know what it encompasses. So, yeah, great. Search engine optimization. What the hell does that even mean to me? Right? right. And so, they then they read. There's You can go down the rabbit hole 18 Ooh. feet deep on SEO content on Google. And then, so if you read 10 articles, oh, I'm a genius in SEO now. And you, and you go out and try and make yours better now. You've made it, made it worse that's like, right. you know, like if you don't exactly know how to strategically put that out there, yeah. you, you get you get punished big time for it. 
Absolutely. Just speaking to that is that, you know, when it comes to SEO, there are uh, black hat tactics mm -hmm. that actually can put you really in trouble. They can give you really, really good short-term results. And, uh, you know, sometimes companies do that is that they, you know, they employ black hat techniques to be able to get you up in results as quickly as possible. Uh, and unfortunately, in the long run, once Google catches up, you know, your site can get blacklisted. So it's very, very important that you not employ those techniques and, uh, and be very careful because once Google blacklists, blacklists you, it becomes very, very challenging to actually come back on the search results and you have this history now of doing you know, uh, spamming activities. The second part is that you have to, you've got gray hat, gray hat techniques which basically don't get you in trouble, but you're very close to getting in trouble. So sometimes you, know, you have to be very careful by employing those techniques and you have to be, you know, again, be careful on, on what you're actually putting out there and who you're employing to be able to do those SEO tactics. And then you've got the white hat techniques, which are basically clean, raw, you know, strategies that can actually help you get good results, but it does take a lot of time to be able to get those results. So I always, you know, I'm a big believer that, you know, you employ white hat techniques and a little bit of gray hat techniques, depending on the situation, because sometimes Google algorithms, they evolve very rapidly, right? So you have so many changes that happen to their alg algorithm over the years. And they do, you know, usually several major changes over the course of the year that can really impact your website in a positive way or a negative way, mm -hmm. depending on what you've done. Uh, from an SEO perspective. But at the end of the day, you know, SEO is a buzz buzzword. And I often say that, you know, when it comes to SEO, what you have to focus on is user experience. If you focus on um, the metric that improves your engagement level, so for example, people spending more time engaging with the content, people spending more time on the website, people not getting confused as they're browsing through the different sections of your website, that's really the metric that you want to be you know, paying attention to. And, um, and basically, if you deliver a great experience and you have great content, that's a solid strategy to move forward from an SEO perspective. Love it. Oh, it's a lot. It can be, yes, yeah. I need a drink. <laughs> so do I. Goodness. <laughs> it just, it, you know, as a, as a small business owner who would be just starting out, like, you know, to hear you talk, it all makes sense, but then they would still be like, you know, I need a ton of help here because mm -hmm. it just seems like it's a, it just seems like if you're not used to it, if you're not really technology, uh, you know, uh, uh, coherent. Right. And, but you, I mean, you're, you get by, but you're not, you know, not the best. It, it might be intimidating. It certainly is. I mean, a lot of businesses are intimidated. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses, they go through this path of using black hat techniques where they get a call and they have somebody doing SEO work for them. They, did, they do get short-term results and then unfortunately they get blacklisted and it becomes a huge issue. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of Google. You have to make sure that you, know, right. you are yeah. following certain guidelines. Um, but the fact is that, you know, it's intimidating when you don't know the unknown, right? I mean, there's, it, it's, it, and also if you fear it, right? So it's very important to be informed and educated about SEO and what it can actually do for your business. Uh, at the same time, you know, focusing on working with creating the good quality content that you want to be posting that is useful for your users, for your audience, and then creating an experience that does not compromise on, on engagement on your website. So hmm. if you follow those principles, you should be, you know, uh, solid in your SEO strategy as well as you know, keeping in mind that there's many, many layers of SEO as well. There's what we call on-page SEO, which are things that you can control on your website. And then there's off-page SEO, which are basically things that you can do to drive traffic to your website from other websites and have links and so forth. So there's many different tactics that actually can help you uh, get more traction for your content. 
And there's plenty of free uh, there's plenty of free sites out there that that you know that help you that have great advice. You don't always have to go out and pay for the top. You know. Absolutely. Stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's uh, amazing, uh, Manib. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, it's uh, yeah, like I said, there's a lot to take in. Like I mean, you know, what what's uh, what's our next topic the next time you stop by? When when are we gonna like like what's what's next? Are you gonna talk? Are we gonna talk about robots or like where, where are we going with the next one? Maybe Terminators. I don't know. The hive will be back. Yeah, Manib. Thanks. Appreciate it, Manib. Uh, before we let you go. Uh, the Hive Nation, where can uh, they connect with you and where can they find two of Yeah, so the best uh, best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn, if you search for my name, Manib Shahid, and also our website is uh, 2web.ca, that's the number 2, web.ca, and uh, we've got some useful articles uh, on our website and uh, some great work that uh, we showcase. So awesome. Excellent, and hopefully very soon, come beta launch, you can find Manib on the, on the Hive. Hive. <laughs> Hive Nation, we're out. <laughs>